I couldn't even tell you what day of the week it is right now. <laughs> I know that when this day started, it was a Monday. But there's no way that it's still that same day. <laughs> there's no way. We've got to be into Wednesday by now. At least. At least Wednesday. This is Modern Dadhood. It's an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. This one. And this one. My name's Adam Flaherty. I'm a father of two girls, one who is now officially seven and one who is almost four. And my name is Mark Checkett. I am a father to twin boy toddlers, soon to be three years old. And they're getting pretty excited about it, actually, now, which is cute. So, Mark, a lot of people have asked over the course of the history of the podcast if we really are only dealing with fatherhood in terms of having young children. What would you say to that? I have also thought that. You've thought that about our show? You've Uh, wondered it about your podcast? I haven't wondered it, but the thought has crossed my mind because the perspective that I'm coming at this is uh, one of, of a dude who's got young, young kids. But we've talked with, we've had a couple of conversations with people who not only have grown kids, but they're in the grand kid territory. I feel like it actually kind of really does sort of run the gamut. We're still at the beginning of this thing. And as our kids grow, our perspectives on fatherhood are going to change and evolve. While things may skew a little on the younger side now, because of where you and I are in our lives, uh, this conversation is for all dads. And my hope is that All of you fathers with teenage kids or adult children can get as much out of the podcast as those of you who can directly relate to the craziness of Mark's life and my life. Yeah. All right. So all that said, today's guest is a friend of mine named John Dorleen. John is a father of three, and he's recovering from a really rough run in with COVID-19. I got a chance to speak to him just recently, and we're going to listen to that conversation shortly. So, Mark, uh, John's story is incredible, and I can't wait for you to hear it, but it's really got me thinking about something that actually comes up in my work from time to time, and I'm actually curious to hear if it ever comes up for you. I'm in video production, as you know, and it seems like once a year or so, someone will reach out looking to create a piece of video content that has the potential to go viral. Mm. I know that you work in the agency world, not specifically in video, but have you ever had a client reach out with the hopes of creating viral content? Yeah, I've I've certainly had the conversations, which are always a little tricky to have. Yeah. Because you can't you can't sit down and orchestrate viral content. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I I feel like, you know, typically when people are looking to create viral content, what they really want is to create an advertisement for their business. That Mm -hmm. ultimately like generates tons of clicks and sales and, you know, that they're able to monetize it. I think that's sort of the the end game. And don't we all want that? Of course. It seems so within reach, you know, because we see it all the time on our screens. Every time this comes up pertaining to my work in video production, I 
explain to them what my own research on viral content has taught me. And what I found is that there are a few sort of specific categories that viral content, at least viral videos, fall into. Some of the categories that that type of content tends to fall into. So I'm thinking of things. So one category, for example, would be like I call lightning in a bottle. So it's Mm. like someone captures something by accident that is so unlikely or rare or absurd the people who watch it have to share it because it's yep. so crazy. But basically it was, it was captured by accident. So the person who captured it got really lucky. There's the news clip of the guy talking about an insane accidental half court shot. And in shooting his little intro to the show, to the, to the segment yeah. is standing at half court with the bucket behind him and he, and does it. he throws it and it goes in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no way you could have planned that. There's no way you could have banked on that being the case. And it just so happens that they captured it. It makes me think of the, the, uh, remember that balloon kid balloon boy. It was Balloon Boy, who was never in the balloon. Nope. Yeah. Oh, that was incredible. That was incredible. And that was everywhere. And it yep. was like, who wouldn't want to help get a run a, a runaway kid who's stuck in some weird device out there? Yeah. Uh, back to safety. But yeah. Was it like a weather balloon or something? And the kid and the kid gave it all away. That was the best part. Yeah. On live television, gave it all away. It was spectacular it really was it was an absolutely spectacular like just crumbling that's that's the that's the other side of that coin it's the dirty side of that coin (laughs) the second category you know at least in my experience is that a company or a brand creates something that in the industry we call branded content Mm. it is you know it can be genuine but it is specifically designed to elicit like a specific emotion. And that could be that it's like really sad or really heartwarming tugs, the heartstrings, or it's like very socially relevant. And the branding part of it is almost an afterthought. You know, it's presented by dove or it's presented by Coca-Cola or whatever. I was, I was just going to say the first one that comes to mind is the dove uh, commercial with the, with the artist. That's a great one. Yeah. Would, would would you put, the Dollar Shave Club, the original Dollar Shave Club commercial. But would you put that in that that viral? The Dollar Shave Club is a great example of the third category, actually, that, that I was going to uh, say, which is a company spends a bunch of money to create an absolutely like over the top, outrageously funny commercial and then puts a lot of money, media money behind it mm. so that. A lot of people see it. And the more people see it, the more people are talking about it. The Harmon brothers, you know, do create that kind of content, squatty potty, things like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Got to be um, careful with that kind of stuff, because when when then somebody tries to replicate that, you can smell it from a mile away. I mean, you, you can you can say like these guys are doing a Dollar Shave Club commercial. Right. So the the writing needs to be really creative and you need to basically reinvent it every time mm-hmm. or else it is just going to look like a kind of a copycat mm-hmm. situation. Anyway, my conversation with today's guest got, got me thinking about this because it really, John's story has opened my eyes to kind of another category mm. of viral that, at least in video production, um, I hadn't really considered. And it has to do with putting out a time-sensitive 
cry for help and then a community of people sharing it and sharing it and really kind of rising to the occasion to help however they can. In certain certain cases, things go viral because it's because it's just it's just a happenstance of alignment, right? There's something that's going on in the public sphere that everybody is aware of, yeah. like coronavirus. It, it's in front of us all the time. Every time we turn on whatever device, right? John's situation is unique in that he not only is a local person, but he also has a bit of a rare situation in the fact that he's got like a very, he's got a rare blood type. And it's just one of those situations that it ended up going, I would say a little bit viral at the very least in our our neck of the woods, because it's such an unfortunate circumstance. This isn't something that's fun for people to share, but it feels like it's like, what can we do? The only thing that we can do is maybe share the story in hopes that maybe enough, if enough people see this, something good can come out of it. And you and I both saw it being shared a lot because we are in the the greater community. But I can tell you, this got shared way beyond as well. Just when I think I'm going to swear off social media altogether because it's all (laughs) terrible. It is awful. Once in a while, there's a shining example of of what can be so powerful about it. Yep. Sometimes it comes through. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and share my recent conversation with John Dorlean right now. Hey, John, how are you? I'm good. You look good. Thank I you. I gotta say, you, you look good. Thank you. I, um, I feel way better than I did when I, um, uh, than <laughs> the day that I came home from the hospital. So as long as I'm on that trend, I'm feeling excellent about everything. So physically, you're up, you're moving around. Yeah. I'm not 100%, but I'm definitely uh, feeling the difference between three Saturdays ago and uh, and today. Good. Well, it's really nice to see you because uh, the last image I saw of you was in the newspaper <laughs> and know. you didn't look all that happy. And the, <laughs> the text that accompanied the picture uh, certainly was pretty unsettling. So before we get into that story Obviously, we know each other personally, but for folks listening, you have several kids. I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about, you know, uh, your family, how old the kids are, and maybe like what their understanding of the whole pandemic would have been before it directly affected your family. Um, uh, I have three kids. Um, my oldest, he just turned 12. My middle daughter, she's 10 and a half, very spirited, very spunky. And my youngest is almost eight. And they understood the pandemic. We did the best we could to explain to them things like when you wear a mask, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for everyone else. They understood to stay away from other people. They're aware of it prior to and even more so now. So it sounds like your family was was being pretty safe and aware of it. Yeah. Maybe I would just have you sort of start at the beginning of your journey with it then. You know, sure. what what did an average day look like for you, say, uh, a month ago? A, a normal day would just be me in front of my computer working all day or, you know, doing tasks around the house. Anything that needs to be built around the house, I do. So then at some point you were exposed to COVID. Yeah. 
first off, do you know how or where? It started with Wanda, my wife. So she got it and she didn't know uh, at which point she contracted it. She works at York Hospital. So the the thought is that it happened at some point in time, like maybe there was a person who um, was admitted and didn't know they had COVID, you know, so there's uh, there are a lot of different contact points where, you know, she could have contracted it, even though that for them in the hospital, they are ultra safe with, you know, their PPEs. It was uh, it, it was unfortunate that she contracted it. And I remember it was probably around December 11th when I couldn't get out of bed. I had already accepted that I probably contracted it after she said that she did. Um, and I just accepted that this was going to be the flu-like symptom. You know, that was me right. crossing my fingers like, oh, I'm going to have the flu version of the symptoms of Corona. But um, nope, that didn't turn out to be the case. But interestingly enough is that my kids did not contract it. Wow. So you have parents that that did, but kids that didn't at all because they've been tested throughout and they kept coming up negative. I was telling somebody it's not going to be for another decade, probably, till we understand what this thing actually is. Now, you said it was mid-December when it got to the point where you were really stuck in bed, just feeling miserable. Yeah. Was she more or less recovered at that point so that she could at least help you and take care of your kids and make sure that they were getting what they <laughs> needed to? Um, no, no. So we were two sick parents walking around the house trying to help them. I remember at one point in time when it snowed here, I was outside shoveling uh, because it had to get done, even though that, you know, we were both sick. Uh, it did start to taper off, I think, sometime later in December, like around the 20th or something like that. But it was still pretty bad in the beginning of uh, in the beginning of it all. Talk to me about the symptoms when you were sort of confined to your bed and at what point. You know, what was going through your head? At what point did you say to yourself or did she say to you, listen, we're going to the hospital? So I think it was around the 21st. I uh, started coughing and kept getting progressively worse. So I thought it was bronchitis and it just kept snowballing down from there. I was in coughing fits anytime I moved. So I started hanging out in the living room because it's the closest room to my office. So I would, you know, sit on the couch or really lie on the couch with mm -hmm. a blanket. Um, and the amount of time that I had to rest just kept increasing to the point where, um, oh goodness, I remember it was the 23rd. I was just lying there, you know, try to be as motionless as possible so that I wouldn't get into a coughing fit. And I stayed there for like eight hours. Wow. And I didn't eat or drink anything. And then that night, I remember uh, Wanda helping me up to the bedroom. And I finally got up there and pretty much that's that's where I that's where I stay. I, I couldn't move after that. It was just that was that was it. And um, that was the last place. Um, that I was before I went into the ER. Had you and Wanda sort of come to terms with the idea that your three kids were probably going to get this just because you couldn't quarantine yourselves from them and you needed to still be their care providers? 
Yeah. Yeah. We were trying to figure out how to do things because, you know, obviously they couldn't go to school. I restrict their video game playing time and their TV time uh, so that they're not just vegging. Yeah. We, after they finish their schoolwork, we're like, oh, just go ahead, just watch TV. Just, yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, we we relied on the electronic babysitter for <laughs> for a few days. Well, and we're talking about, you know, two days before Christmas when it got oh, yeah. really bad for you. Right. So, I mean, Christmas was already going to be very different this year, no matter what. Yeah. But this you must have just, again, sort of just come to terms with the idea that. Christmas wasn't really going to happen. Right. Right. And, um, you know, they, they see the Amazon boxes and neither Wanda or I, and, or I had the energy to wrap anything. So just like, right. you know, we'll just, we'll just unwrap the boxes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we were just yeah. so done. Um, so yeah, from their perspective, you know, they just got a chance to play a lot of video games and they were just, they were just waiting for the time where they could open the boxes, you know? Okay. So, you decide that uh, it's time to go to the hospital or you and Wanda together make that decision. So take me through it from there. So did you drive yourself? No, no, because Wanda, she had she had picked up a blood oxygen monitor. And um, at one point in time, I had to go to the bathroom and I was having such difficulty walking back to my uh, bedroom that I remember calling for her as I'm just trying to make it back. And I just crashed on the bed and I'm panting, you know, with short breaths, sweating. And she goes, grabs the blood oxygen monitor when she comes up and uh, sees me. And then she had this really concerned look on her face and said, I'm calling the ambulance. And so in my dumb dad brain, I'm thinking, well, how much is that going to cost? Is that necessary? <laughs> oh, man. Because, you know, I was like, I've had pneumonia before. This will just go away. You know, and for her, she's like, no, this is an emergency. Right. You know, so uh, the ambulance got got there. And I remember my coughs and the breaths in between the coughs were at such a high pitch that I realized Oh my gosh, I'm only breathing through the top part of my lungs. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not taking full full breaths. It it sounded like a 7-year-old uh coughing. It was just this high-pitched weird sound that I never heard before. They, you know, immediately started monitoring my um my everything, you know, heart rate, yeah. you know, uh, blood oxygen. And they noticed that it was in the eighties and I didn't know anything about that. And knowing that it's supposed to be in the high nineties, it's like, Oh, that's a problem, you know? But at the time I didn't know. Now, the weird thing is that from my vantage point, I had a completely different experience than everyone else. And I had to become more and more aware of that because from my vantage point, I was just, weak and coughing. So I remember when they brought me from the um, ER into a hospital, just a regular hospital room. They had me sitting in a wheelchair. And I remember just like slumping over trying to figure out how the feet thing works. And I was barely able to move. And I'm thinking to myself, do I look like Stephen Hawking's in this chair? And that was my that's my (laughs) 
that's my yeah. thought. Just sort of like slumped in this thing, and they're they're bringing me to the room, and I remember feeling the breeze um, through the hall, and just like, oh, that feels so good, you know. And so, from my vantage point, I'm just sweaty and weak, but everyone else around me is like scrambling because you know they're they're noticing that these vitals are on a decline. Is that the point where it dawned on you how serious it was? It didn't dawn on me till I came home on Saturday, uh, three Saturdays ago, because I wasn't told how bad it was until probably the last day when, you know, I'm talking to the doctor again from my vantage point. They're just asking me questions like, you know, simple questions, you know, do you know your blood type? And, you know, they're like, OK, we're going to we have to draw blood anyway. So we're going to get your blood type. And, you know, I'm like, OK, do what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Take take whatever. And what did they find when uh, when they drew that blood and determined your blood type? They told me they came in and told me that I have um, a B negative blood and I don't know what that means. And so it wasn't until later I found out, oh, that's a very rare blood type. According to whatever, there's only like one percent of the population with that blood type. And so I'm like, well, that's a problem. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, the doctor came to me and told me that we're going to um, give you a you know transfusion of convalescent plasma. I didn't know what any of that meant. What I'm what I gathered after the fact is they were increasing the amount of uh, medication to stop my decline. They started me on two liters of oxygen. Then they moved me up to four. Now, four is when you give oxygen to someone who is having a really bad day. They moved me to 10. So I'm on this, you know, large tube through my nose. There were points in time where I would I was going through a coughing fit and I I just thought to myself, are they going to have to give me a tracheotomy? Mm. That's that's how that's how difficult it was to breathe. The the plasma seemed to be sort of like a Hail Mary uh, situation. Until, you know, we all found out that, oh, he's got a B negative. So let's call around to see if we could find that. Okay, so now I'm imagining it from the hospital's perspective. They have a patient who's in really rough shape, who has this extremely rare blood type that they don't have access to in their hospital. I would imagine that then they reach out to all other hospitals and, you know, blood banks in the region. Right. And that's got to be their first step to say, how can we, how can we acquire this regionally? Right. And then what's next? So that became the hospital's type top priority. And it also became uh, my wife's top priority. So she started looking on uh, social media and uh, the hospital was, you know, they were calling around trying to to find uh, to find it locally. And that's when the whole news piece came out, because um, not just uh, my wife's efforts, but uh, one of my best friends saw her post and, you know, she calls up Wanda immediately and, you know, is asking what's going on and Wanda explained it to her. And then when she got the gravity of it, she was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, <laughs> yeah, we got to we got to do something. So she got it in uh, Seacoast. Uh, oh, no, I think Wanda got it in Seacoast online and she uh, called the local television uh, networks. And with that effort, 
um, on all fronts, they were able to, to, to find it for me. The article that you're referring to just for folks listening, um, when I first saw it come across my, my device, you know, my phone, basically the article was for a call to action for anybody who has that blood type (laughs) or anybody who knows anybody who has that blood type to consider donating it and to contact the Red Cross if they would like to talk about it or to arrange that. So once that was published, it really happened very quickly. Oh, yeah. I mean, words spread like crazy. They got it within within 10 hours, which is in in less than a day. You know, it, it, it that's amazing to me. I was floored and humbled by the fact that, you know, strangers are coming out of nowhere to to contribute. And that was uh, to me, it was so so touching to 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 know the the goodness of um, humanity and the community in a time when Americans are so polarized right. and it feels like it it started politically but now it goes even deeper it's right. like the last 4 years or so have really brought out a lot of people's true colors and right. and they're not they're not pretty you know there right. there's a lot of anger there's a lot of hate and i was really inspired to see how the community came together first and foremost to get the word out, but how far of a reach that article had and how quickly things started to happen. I don't know if you were receiving any updates or anything, but this story like took off locally. It was everywhere. And immediately after I shared it, uh, my friend Barry out in Los Angeles shared it to a Facebook group for people all over the country who have recuperated from COVID and multiple people responded asking how and where they could donate wow. and how they could get this to you. That's amazing. Again, I'm just leaning over and struggling to pick up the phone to call for some oatmeal, you know, but I had no idea what was going on in the outside world. My only indication was uh, Wanda because she works at the hospital. They did uh, grant her the opportunity to come chat with me. She told me that they were able to um, find the plasma. Um, she also told me that my my mom is on her way, you know, from um, mm. from Fort Myers. My first thought was, no, she can't come. Yeah. You know, but and now taking stock of the whole situation, essentially what my mom was saying is. I'm going to risk my life to to do this. I'm going to risk my life to see my baby, you know, and you can appreciate a parent's love. You know, I'm not a person who cries. I've cried more in the last three weeks than I've done <laughs> in the last three years. I had a firsthand experience of seeing the beautiful American experience and you know, this storm, I sat in the eye of it and I just cried because it was, I saw the beauty of what it looks like when we are unified and we come together. Maybe you weren't a crier before, man, but you're a crier now. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> and it feels good. I mean, I came home <laughs> and even with my high pitched cough voice, you know, I'm just crying, holding my kids, you know, 
they're all crying. We're all crying. Everyone, tears <laughs> everywhere. You know, they were just so happy to see me when I came home. So I, I just accept, well, okay, this is cool now. This is, this is how I am. Do you think that there's a lesson that your kids could take away from your experience? The thing that I, I keep trying to emphasize to them is um, be good to each other. You know, I don't want to include you don't know when you're going to see someone last. But the biggest thing is let let's be good to each other. And um, it's a battle because there's no place to go. Right. You know, we're all we're stuck, stuck together. In the house. Yeah. You know, but I think if we can understand that in this extreme circumstance, there, there are going to be points in time where everyone's going to be out of the house and doing something. And then if we've exercised that muscle now, then when it gets easier, we won't go our separate ways when they go off to college and um, not contact each other. Aside from adhering to all the safety protocols, do you have any thoughts or words of advice that you'd like to share to parents listening? Oh, absolutely. Um, Even with the COVID guidelines in schools, educating your kids to know that putting on a mask is not for your safety, it's for other people, I think is a good message because kids aren't altruistic. Making this something that they can do for other people is a great lesson. John, thank you so much for your willingness to to talk about this so openly. I am personally really glad that you're you're on the mend and considering how good of a person you are and how how well respected you are in the community. To some degree, I'm not surprised that people came together for you the way that they did, but I'm so encouraged by how much that spread and how quickly you were able to get what you needed in order to get home and recuperate. Yeah. And you know that, uh, that I'm here, uh, for whatever you need and hope that you would never feel weird about asking for any help in any way. <laughs> not anymore. I'm a crier <laughs> and I'm giving <laughs> and not afraid to and, take and not afraid to be given <laughs> to. Yes. <laughs> Adam, <clears throat> Adam, are you there? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Adam, what's up, Adam? Wake up. Um, we're still here. Reco- we're still recording. I I wanted to let you know that I have a so that's a thing now. Oh, you do? I do. Great. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this one off with a quick question. Are you familiar? Yes. Oh, great. Well, I, I'm among the most familiar of people. Then. We're done. Um, Are you familiar with the song and children's book, Wonky Donkey, by Craig Smith? I'd be lying if I said I was familiar with that book. So you've not, okay, you've not heard of Wonky Donkey, either the song or the book by Craig Smith, a number one selling book, I might add. So... Just a quick context for for this. So there's a there's a book and a song, 
as if we haven't established that already. And one day, I was thinking of a song by Harry Connick Jr. He has a song off of an album from the 90s, Funky Dunky. And it's like this just weird little interlude, like 45 second piece or whatever that goes from one song to another. And I was, it was in my mind. It was in my head. I was kind of humming it. And I thought, Alexa, maybe you know this song. So I said, Alexa, play Funky Dunky. And Alexa says, playing Wonky Donkey by Craig Smith. Okay. I said, oh, I'll give this a shot. It's not what I asked for, but I'm, give it to me. I'm open. I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey. How? I only had three legs and one eye, and he liked to listen to country music. Yeehaw! He was a honky tonky winky, wonky donkey. Honky tonky winky, wonky donkey. It's a silly little song about a donkey that's got like three legs. He also smells bad, but he's also really handsome and he likes country music. Sounds like a pretty wonky guy. Yeah, very wonky individual here. So this song plays and I make a big to-do about it cuz I'm like, "What?" and I'm just being I'm just being like this big animated like muppet in front of my kids like, "What is this crazy song?" <laughs> but the kids thought this was song was hilarious. And for some reason, they decided to just strip all the clothes that everything, just everything came off. I don't know what about the song prompted that, but it has since become a thing in this household. They'll, they'll suggest I want to do wonky donkey. And, and as they're saying, I want to do wonky donkey, the pants are coming down naked. Yeah. (laughs) The shirt's coming off. The underwear's getting kicked. And it's this big hilarious thing to them that they run around listening and singing along to wonky donkey while they're naked they just lose their mind they're just like laughing their heads off with this so has it crossed your mind that the first time it happened the getting naked was just part of like playing along with how crazy you were being and they both realized how freeing it was to dance naked in the living room and then now wonky donkey is just the conduit that allows mm. for the nakedness, hmm. maybe the naked frolicking. Maybe. I mean, I would, I would imagine that they find it a little bit freeing. You know, we've come into the world this way. Let's just let it hang, man. There you have it. That's a thing. Wonky donkey, nakey dance. Friends, listeners, family, anyone out there, you can find us at moderndadhood.com you can find us at apple podcasts stitcher spotify google podcasts i think it's called wherever you find your podcasts you'll find modern dadhood if you'd be so kind as to leave us a rating and review on apple podcasts we would forever be in your debt forever you can also find us on social media on facebook and instagram where we put lots of outtakes from the show that didn't make it into episodes and lots of other great content you can write us at hey at modern check in with us and and uh have a laugh tell us what you're up to and thank you as always to casper baby pants and spencer albee for the music in our podcast to pete morse at red vault audio to john dorleen for sharing his story to craig smith creator of wonky donkey for allowing us to use his amazing song in the episode and to you, the listener. Thursday, 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 Thursday.
Wonder. <laughs>